0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. Guys, my guest today is making waves in the insurance industry down in Houston. He is a husband, a father, a soccer fan, and more importantly, a superstar when it comes to insurance. Please welcome to the show, owner of the Caballero Agency, Kevin Caballero. Kevin, welcome, my man. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Sam. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Dude, thank you for coming on. So how many podcasts have you been on?
1: Yeah you are my first sam I've so giving you the honor
0: the i it, it is indeed an honor so audience this is kevin's first podcast so we're going to break him in nice and easy um so i've wrote down a list of starter questions that starter uh podcast hosts like get to ask so number one kevin um mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself
1: so i'm uh 40 years old i'm married i've got three boys uh i own an insurance agency I love to play soccer Love sales and um, personal development books. That's a that's that's me in a nutshell.
0: Okay, wow. All right. So welcome to the show. So you're an insurance agent or you're an insurance agency owner. What are I'm you- an insurance. So what's the difference?
1: I am an insurance agency owner. Uh, I think that's that's a very key distinction to make uh, because. In reality, the the day-to-day operations are, I really rely on my team uh, for uh, quoting home insurance, auto insurance. I have other product that I like to kind of focus on. Mm -hmm. Um, So we try to help people in all walks of life. So I focus more on the life insurance, health insurance for both individuals and business owners. And then I'm also securities licensed. So I can talk to people about their their 401k, their, their investment savings, their retirement planning, those those type of things.
0: Right, right. So you've got the, the skill set that runs the entire uh, side of the financial services industry. Correct. So let me ask you this. This show is obviously is based at folks that are a little bit younger in business experience mm-hmm. than, than you and I both are. And um, One of the things I like to do is open up how your business works, and some of the things you've done in the past and what what got you to where you're at. So uh, what I like to do with my guests is take them them on a journey through their career, starting out in the early days, and uh, what they were like as a teenager and in high school, because uh, you know we've got a lot of young entrepreneurs actually listen to the show, and believe it or not, uh, look to folks like you and I for guidance. And so I want you know it's the it's the idea is to share our journeys and let let the guys know that are a few years behind us that what they're doing is perfectly normal and they're heading in the right direction. So, did you always want to be an entrepreneur? What were you like as a kid?
1: I I think uh, my parents had a lot to do with my my outlook on owning a business. So Mm -hmm. both my parents they owned uh, they've owned and operated their own their own landscaping business ever since I was a young child. Okay. So I think that that was inherently kind of like ingrained in our, um, in our, in our makeup and in, in our character, even on sun, you know, summer, summer would roll around and the kids would be like, Hey, we're going to go to the pool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, on, on certain days, I don't want to <laughs> make my life sound harder than it, than it actually was. <laughs> I'd have to get on the truck and we'd have to go. And, you know, uh, I would either push the mower around, um, help with cleanup, raking up the leaves, that type of thing. Just so, because it's, if I did it, then it'd be one less um, laborer that we would need to pick up for the day to cover uh, to cover our route.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Dude, I I did something very similar um, with my dad helping to mow yards when I was a kid, and uh, I remember one day I'd had a friend over from school, and um, he's like, "Well, you got to come mow yards, and your friend can come too, or he could go play at somebody else's house." And I was devastated because he went to play at somebody else's house while I had to mow yards. Yeah, imagine imagine
1: that he would actually select that option over the other.
0: And and so why did you why did you choose a career that wasn't mowing yarns then?
1: I, I see that was a great experience. It's like, cause, I mean, I remember it being lunchtime,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and not because my stomach was was ready to eat, but because right. it was just time. It was lunchtime. That was the time that was designated, and we went to pick up some fast food, mm-hmm. and I was I was not hungry and it was just because it was like 105 degree weather right i was just drinking a lot of water and i was just like this sucks i so whatever <laughs> whatever path that i follow i want to have it where i don't have to be outside
0: dude <laughs> that's why we work that's why we both work with our brains now not with our hands yes. right yeah yes. like i mean working outside is great and all um you can have i i've known guys build eight figure businesses from being okay. in service industries and working outside uh it just like mowing yards just wasn't for me so what did you do out of high school as you you got this business experience from your dad from mowing yards and now you now you're 18 years old and fresh out into the world or or did you go to college
1: i did go to college um but it was also a different path than say my friends um mm-hmm. where they're going to be going right into a four-year ed- education um you know uh like a public or private institution in Texas or out of state. And for me, the path was a little bit different. It was, listen, we're going to go to do your community college, get your basics done, and then hopefully transfer, transfer uh, your credits to that four year, so you can finish. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of the first semester of community college, my parents were like, that's all we can help you with Kevin. So if you want to continue, it's on your own. Right. So I had to kind of figure things out really quickly, and I, I, I got really good. I've, I've always been good at writing essays mm-hmm. and scholarships. Big part of that is writing good essays, answering the yeah. question right. So I applied to a lot of a lot of uh, scholarships, and I was fortunate to to win more than enough to kind of pay for the community college portion. Mm-hmm. Enough to the point where I I kind of threw in like a little bit of my. As a side hustle because it was a scholarship sam that was use it or lose it
0: right so right, say
1: right. the tuition was i think back in the days like five thousand for the semester but you had six seven thousand dollars in your account if you didn't spend it you would you would lose it you would follow oh, that over yeah so what i did is i said listen i've already paid my tuition i've already bought my books I've got this money sitting there. I got to be able to do something with it. So what I did is I bought all the books that the freshmen would need, like English one, college Mm -hmm. algebra. And I bought as many books as I could to exhaust those, that, that money that was there. And then I just would flip them,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, it's just, if it's out, if it's there, I got to, I got to maximize it.
0: Dude, that's a, that's a smart model. Yeah. I mean, you're surrounded by incoming freshmen. And I remember back in the day, how expensive textbooks were, like yeah. hundreds of dollars in books sure. uh, just for a semester. So that's a, that's a yeah. really good. Uh,
1: yeah. And this was before you could rent books. I think now that's a, that's a common thing.
0: Oh, you can rent books now. Oh, I I don't know about that. Like, I just, you know what I do these days? <laughs> like, that? Well, I I was gonna say I actually do pay for information that I need, uh, but like if I needed textbooks, I'd go find a college kid and be like, "Hey man, uh, go download me some textbooks from one of those sites, and uh, let me give you let me give you a gift voucher for the, for dinner," because like, hey. I mean, yeah, it's
1: creative ways to to access access the information.
0: That's so tricky though, because like I firmly believe that authors should get paid for their contribution to society, and yet I also believe that like mandating textbooks for a college class that you wrote and charging hundreds of dollars for it is is slightly usurious and probably shouldn't be allowed so find a balance there maybe
1: i I agree with you sam also there's there's sometimes they've made quite a business from it with the multiple editions and versions of it which has such minuscule difference between the versions that Mm -hmm. they literally do it only just to be able to kind of add another skew and also more money to their more, bottom more line.
0: More money because you got to buy the new book and it makes the old right. book obsolete on the used market, which is mm. just... That that part of that for-profit education industry, it just galls me. It just winds me the wrong way because I know that a, a vast uh, amount of the money that kids are spending on books is, is, from, right. lo- is from loans and it's pushing yes. them into debt on the other side of school. And so, you know, that just mm-hmm. does... I'm not trying to fix the education system on today's podcast. This is about you. (laughs) But it just, uh, it just does strike me as a, a rather peculiar thing to do. So anyway, I agree with you flipping books in college. And so what was your first job outside of college? What did you do when you got graduated?
1: So when I graduated, I studied, so I did my basics at Houston Community College, I transferred my uh, those credits to the University of Houston, mm-hmm. I went to the College of Business, I had to pick a declare a major, I went with finance. And I looked at it, Sam, and I was like, I could either do spreadsheets, models, or I can go financial services sales. And I've always kind of been in before this when we didn't talk about it, but I used to flip um, cars. On mm-hmm. the way through college yeah find opportunities
0: well let's talk I about that for cars. a minute yeah let's talk okay. about that for a minute um what what was that like how How did you get into flipping cars as a kid because i know a lot of people and uh, they they see these things on craigslist and they see this make money flipping cars and they think it's a good idea and they go flip a few cars and they get burned so so how did you do at flipping cars how'd you get into that
1: i think i found so i would always I kind of study the, the what the market rate was for certain cars and certain cars that would depreciate slower than others. And so mm-hmm. I, I guess you could say I kind of niched into the subcompact Japanese. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of Honda Civics, Acura Integras. I would have guessed. So if,
0: I would have guessed that just from looking at you.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I even have uh, for, right, for a uh, little oh, yeah, Honda S two thousand.
0: For those of hey, you yeah. that go to car meets regularly, Kevin actually oh, yeah. just Kevin looks like the guy at the car meet that's driving a Honda. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I and I have a uh, this. My mom gave me this car. Um, it, <laughs> I it love one. it. And so I actually own a white Civic Type R.
0: Ah, gotcha. So it's
1: like I've always liked having an idea of like driving like a Hot Wheel car,
0: dude. So. You know what? I'm 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 42, and I see those Civic Type R's on Auto Trader, and I see them, I'm like. Mm. I quite fancy, one of those. But then again, I look at it and I'm thinking, if I if I drive that, the only place I could go would be the skate park and the video arcade. I mean, that would, I would I would just be a teenager. That would be it. They just um, they're so irresponsibly overstyled. <laughs> they, they look oh, yes. they look like Hot Wheels are amazing cars, man.
1: They are uh, the the new version that came out last year is a bit more subdued in its styling. Mm-hmm. Um, so to make it more, I guess, approachable for the general public
0: yeah but you just kind of want to put a system in it and put speakers in it and just go and cruise around by the high school don't you like that's yeah. that's why it belongs to it. obviously i'm not gonna go do that but that's why sure, I, sure. that's why i don't own a civic you know but yeah. you look you look at it and it's like every teenage boy's dream car so uh yeah well i done had to
1: I I scratch that itch you know sam like because i'm 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 40 um yeah. but i have my little, my little civic type bar and the good mm. thing is it's, it's a it's a hatchback and I I take my kids to the elementary school in the morning in it. Um, on the weekends, we use my wife's uh, SUV. But right, I, right. I I enjoy and the boys love zipping around town in it.
0: They they're gonna call me sexist, but that is why wives have SUVs. It's so husbands can drive irresponsible vehicles. That's why it happens.
1: You know, if if I didn't have to take the kids to uh,
0: to <laughs> yeah. elementary
1: school in the morning, I would have a, a two seater mm-hmm. uh, convertible. I yeah. love Honda S2000, but it's just not practical for day-to-day use.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, And you, you can't have two wives either, because if you could, one of them, you know, you could, then you could have the sports car. The other <laughs> one could do the school run. All right, enough
1: you're, of that. You're uh, going to get us in trouble, Sam.
0: No, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I'm going to get you in trouble, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> See the difference? Okay, so moving on. So with flipping cars, man, I, tell me how that went. Did it, did it go good? Did, it go, did you get burned on any? you, you learn any lessons flipping cars?
1: There was a like, few that I I did get burned on. Um, don't
0: buy don't buy Cadillac North Stars. There's a lesson for you. How about that?
1: <laughs> I, I never did any domestic. I had one Ford Explorer in the whole. I think I've had since my first car purchase to now. I think it's 27 cars.
0: Oh wow, okay. And those so are,
1: only one of them was a, was a Ford.
0: Those are rookie numbers, son. You got to pump those numbers up.
1: Yeah, that, that's all <clears> I, <throat> I mean, I I didn't flip that much, but it was enough to either. The objective, Sam, was to either obviously turn a profit mm-hmm. or drive a vehicle that wouldn't have any impact on depreciation. So you're driving right. a car for free.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did the exact same thing, pal, because it just made sense at the time with, with the the income level I was at and the income level I wanted to go to. It didn't make any 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 sense spending money on a car when I could just fix stuff in my own driveway and drive for free and then sell it for a profit. Sure. And now, um, you know. Uh, my time's worth. It's not my my skill sets pay more than, than doing mechanical work and under a tree. Sure. So, you know, th- things have evolved, and I, I don't work. You've evolved exactly. <laughs> I don't yeah. work on my own cars anymore. But no, in my uh, my my entire twenties was working on cars and 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 doing the side hustles to to build some money up. So, um, what was your first real like? You're out of college. You're not flipping cars. Right. I'm going to work. Did you just jump straight into entrepreneurship or did you have any any jobs that gave you some good field training?
1: You know, I mean, before college, I was just, you know, waiting tables, flipping cars. And then I graduated. I went right into the financial services industry, which was New York Life. Mm-hmm. And, and there that was it's it's a Fortune 100 insurance company. Um, and it was giving it was gave a lot of training in the first three years of being in business, but you're only selling life insurance.
0: right, right. yeah.
1: That's it. exclusively. So you did have certain um, expectations of training uh, to be able to kind of come in at a certain time. even though it's it is te- technically entrepreneurship and you're building your own career, right. There were expectations of of time. I mean, you had to you had to wear a tie, so even though you know a tire was was uh, regimented. So that was the first experience into kind of working a quote-unquote real job. Before then, the only job I had was actually I worked at an insurance company. Mm -hmm. And I said – and I was working as the administrator. So the agents would come in. They would submit their policies or the applications rather, and then I would have to manually input them and then send them off to home office. And I thought to myself, these guys are working for commission. I don't know how they could – why don't they just go get a real job is what I thought (laughs) as a Mm. snotty-nosed – 17 year old i didn't know anything and then ironically look what i am now look what i do now
0: yeah and that's 23 years ago think how you'll feel in another 23 years about how little you knew then
1: (laughs) that's a very good point like a very good point
0: do do you know i started to think um i lost a buddy of mine uh last year and we'd had a 20 year relationship and i met him when he was 51 years old I'm like, wait a minute. And then you think you're, you think you're getting old now at middle age, but no, there's all other relationships, there's all other chapters, there's all over everything. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you've got, you've got that 17 year old naivety in you. Think how you'll feel at 63, man.
1: How, yeah. How and, little I knew. Yeah. Looking back. Yeah.
0: Look, look how much, look how much we've got to look forward to learning. I think is the mm-hmm. way I look at it. There's so many places to go. And so. Was there anything in particular that attracted you about insurance? Because you're working there at 17, and for me, I'd be like, that would be where I would make my decision. Hey, I want to come back and do this later on. Or was there anything that attracted you to insurance in particular?
1: I think I think it was the ideas. Because I would see some big commission checks. And yeah. so I would see how excited they would be. And I was like, whoa, you made all that money in this week? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. And some guys would – I saw the reaction or the behaviors of how certain guys were like for example, there was there was one guy, he was notorious for making some good commission and he mm-hmm. would just take off to his home country for the rest of the month. He's like, yep. Hey, I checked my box. Whatever that, that number was, mm-hmm. I satisfied it. He would come back from his trip and do it all over again. You know, that was his prerogative. Cool.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. So the that, guys would be that some some people define that as success and if if that's what i wanted to do and go back to england every two weeks and sell for two weeks i'd, I'd consider myself successful at that goal you know so yeah fair play to him. I've,
1: I've, i mean who, <laughs> like who am i to judge how, how he spends his commission checks right man it's it's I the would, size I would of the see check them come in it's yeah. the size of the check exactly so i would see that and i was like that's exciting and then I guess I didn't realize how risk averse I was at that stage of life. When in reality, I should have, looking back, I should have been mm-hmm. so willing to <laughs> risk because, like, I had nothing to lose.
0: Yeah, but again, like, so, so talking to the nineteen-year-olds and twenty-five-year-olds, whatever that are listening, you have nothing to lose by today's standards. But everything you had, even though, like, let's say a hundred grand conversation is normal now, mm-hmm. back then a thousand-dollar conversation was was intimidating oh yeah okay. so it was even though it wasn't much by percentage base like as a 19 year old to risk it in entrepreneurship it would be like me or you risking six or seven figures and stuff for them to risk right. a few grand so from a percentage base you it's know relatively right yeah i take my hat off to you for for going after it like you know
1: thank you very much sam i think i think i give a lot of credit to still being kind of like a traditional Hispanic household. I mm-hmm. never left. I never left my home until I got married at 26. So uh, that allowed me okay. not to have any fixed expenses. Um, so I still paid my way through college. I didn't take on loans until I absolutely had to. Mm-hmm. I graduated with very low, low loans. Um, and then I started my career in financial services. And it wasn't like I was killing it from the get go. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of times I got kicked in the teeth. And if I hadn't had the support—not financial support—but at least I didn't have any expenses in the form of, you know, yeah. food, utilities, or a roof over my head. I don't think I would have survived. So I give credit to them for that. So I mean, I remember the first year I made—I think—I mean, looking yeah. at twenty-seven
0: thousand. Dude, that, that's my—that was, that was my next question. That was my next question because uh, a lot of people they see they see guys like us and they they, they think overnight success or whatever. Um, you know, and I've I've been the small business surgeon for two years, so it looks like I've blown up and and, and made it super successful in the last two years, but in reality, it's been a, a grueling, grueling twenty years of trial and error to to kind of get to this point. So, what was it like starting out for you in insurance? Because you know, my first year in business, I oh, it was two thousand four when I got all my paperwork right, and I probably made about the same as you about 27 28 grand somewhere in there um you know what was it like for you starting out and just just what obstacles did you run into in those first few years
1: well i had to i had to really understand the the game of insurance and i try to gamify everything because mm-hmm. it's if you can kind of figure out the metrics the activities what do you need to do to reverse engineer to become successful in this industry mm-hmm it was all based off of activity what are you doing how many calls are you making how many appointments are you setting to figure out what that ratio is how many calls do i need to make to make one appointment
0: it's literally just that it is just that you know if you make enough calls you'll hit those numbers
1: you will so then, name flow is so important sam so where are you getting your name flow from and so because that's going to be the biggest indicator of success how good are you at getting referrals from the people you're meeting with? Either they're buying a policy from you, and mm-hmm. you're getting referred leads, or you now, don't sell anything, but you still walk away with names.
0: Now, I've never heard the term of name flow before. Is that would that be the same as traffic coming into the top of your CRM? Essentially,
1: that's 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 exactly right.
0: Okay, so um, explain a little bit for those listening, because um, you know, real estate uh, licensed realtors drop out at a rate of about eighty-seven percent. And I can't imagine it being much better for licensed insurance agents.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: So talk, talk if you would, about that adversity and how you went about getting enough people into your name flow to keep enough conversations going into where you could establish that foundation under you. What are some of the methods that you used to engage potential clients?
1: I think you had to get really creative of where the names were coming because the natural inclination would be like, I will plug into a, a referral source, such mm-hmm. as a, or a center of influences, a, a COI is, is how they're known in the industry, like mm-hmm. a CPA, or a realtor that has a book of clients, or you could connect to a property and casualty agent that has home and auto clients that mm-hmm. doesn't sell life insurance, right. so You kind of create this partnership. I think that was a valuable way of being able to have partnerships to be able to gather the name flow and you have a like a reciprocal relationship there mm-hmm. versus just pounding the pavement, making dials, joining networking groups, BNIs, and uh, you know, taking pictures of bulletin boards of different coffee shops and everybody has their their cards out there and they're trying to sell stuff and you're trying to sell stuff to them. Uh, network, you know, networking meetings at night. Um, everyone's trying to sell stuff to each other. That's yeah, so- that's
0: why I don't go to these meetings. It's cuz like this everybody's trying to sell me insurance or um oh. social media management. <laughs> yeah. And or, or real estate. They're trying to be like and I don't know, it just seems to be a a mistake that a lot of guys starting out make as they go to like I'm a huge proponent of networking. I think it's probably the most powerful tool that we've got. Um, yes. and it pains me to see people go to the wrong type of networking events where it's just people that are looking to take um, it's just people looking for referrals it's just people looking to sell themselves and um, I try and now get around and I, I know you know this but I try and get around the better masterminds where it's more about how can we serve each other rather than yes. how to sell each other stuff um, so if if you are young in business starting out Pay to be in a mastermind that focuses on on service and on results. Don't go to the free ones because everybody there didn't pay to get in.
1: Exactly that <laughs> that pay boundary is so important. And I, mm-hmm. I wish I wish I had looking back. That's one of the things I would change. Is that oh, Number absolutely? Two, I, have, yeah. I Have mentors. Yes. There's a lot of people that have many more years of experience in your respective field that have had the issues and challenges and problems. Mm-hmm. That you can learn from, and the the cool thing is, you think, oh well, what are they gonna want to talk to me for? There's a lot of people that are, have reached a level of success that wouldn't mind pouring back into a young, hungry, mm-hmm. uh, talented individual, a, a protege, even. Dude, I love nothing more. Than,
0: I love nothing more than mentoring. Like, yeah. the the problem with mentoring is is when a lot of kids see how hard the work is, they they bounce um but i've got guys i've mentored successfully for years and I, I i love doing it i love giving back and like i'd imagine if you had a young and hungry insurance guy in his early 20s said hey kevin can you give me some pointers you'd be happy oh, yeah. to sit there like us, I would. All, we just waffle on about <laughs> for hours about how we can help them you know oh like, yeah so don't be afraid to reach out for mentors either guys
1: and i'll, I'll get, get this sam um i'll sign up for mentorship programs with my college Mm-hmm. the the student organization that I was a part of, which was HBSA, Hispanic Business Student Association. I'll sign up, and I will be assigned a mentee. Mm-hmm. The mentee will never pick up the phone and call me. It's like I've literally volunteered to give my time, to make myself available, so that you can call me, ask me questions, what have you. But it's kind of weird. I guess the kids, the young, the young adults, uh, they think what the mentor is going to call them to schedule some time with them they they have to understand the relationship of mm. hey I'm available I raise my hand you call me I'll call you back I'll we'll schedule time I've made my commitment to the program but I never get called it's so weird mm. so if I could encourage your your viewers your listeners yeah, if yeah. you have a, an an opportunity such that is presented to you take advantage of it but also you know reach out schedule time they've already yeah. they've already said that they're willing to
0: I bet so, it's probably because you're like me and you have a full calendar. Like, if I tell you I'll do something, I say, "Yeah, text me, let's set that up." And you don't text it—that's on you. Like, on you. you know, I, I can't remember so much. Yeah, but dude, nobody wants to buy insurance. How do no. you make? How do you make selling a product that everybody needs, but nobody really wants to buy? How do you make that into a profitable and enjoyable business venture?
1: It's tough. I think you have to go in there with a servant mentality Mm -hmm. and uh, not. And my objective in my sales process is to decommoditize the product that I'm selling, because if not, I have no unique value
0: proposition
1: going online.
0: Okay. I know exactly what you mean by that. However, let's uh, just, just give me some more detail on exactly what you mean by by, uh, making sure that you're not commoditizing your product and giving your unique selling point. Um, Because I think I really want the audience to understand how important that is.
1: Yeah. I think um, my philosophy, my approach to selling has a lot to do with education. And so although I sell, the biggest line item of revenue comes from the two products that everyone by law must have. If you own a home, you have to have home insurance but if you drive a car, you have to have car, car insurance. Mm-hmm. So I go by, I don't do the whole apples to apples. Here's, here's what you have. Here's what I can mm-hmm. offer. You know, mine's cheaper buy it. Oh, mine's more expensive buy it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Because I go in there. That's the only, that's the only thing separating just the price, which, which is what you were talking about. That's commoditizing what you sell. Now you don't want right. to do that. So no. by adding value you're now differentiating your product. So tell me how you add some value and how you make that difference.
1: So I'll tell you about a recent scenario. I think telling a story will probably answer the question that has been absolutely. than me breaking it down. So I had a situation with um, a business owner and I kind of, I follow him on social media and I knew he does well for himself. He's also in very high level masterminds. So I have an idea of his financial situation, okay? Mm -hmm. And I also, in my fact finding, I try to uncover those details. The reason that that is relevant to my discovery is because on auto insurance, your bodily injury coverages should be, you you want to try to avoid having any kind of unnecessary lawsuits Mm -hmm. or risk exposure in the form of being underinsured on your auto insurance so that you can become sued for any damages or shortfall. Let me break that down in normal English. <laughs> if I've got state minimum coverages, which this person actually did, and what that so, means so in how, Texas
0: – Yeah, how much – yeah, what's Texas minimums?
1: Okay, so the Texas minimums if I have $30,000 per, uh, per individual of bodily injury damages or $60,000 per accident. So if there's two people in the car – that's 30 and
0: 30. I mean, this is America. What's what's $60,000 get you? Like a broken leg and a couple of band-aids?
1: It's exactly. It, you can you can get to that maximum.
0: You can't even ride period. in life? You can't even ride in life flight for 60 grand.
1: Yeah. There's no
0: right. way. Mm. So, yeah, that that's a problem because if you get in a wreck, what are they going to do? They they're going to stop cutting you out and say, "Sorry, you don't have insurance." No, they're not. No. Yeah, they they they're going to send you the bill regardless of whether you've got a way to pay it or not.
1: Correct. And now, so mm-hmm. if this, if my client was at fault, this, this client that I'm telling mm-hmm. you about, and he had state minimum coverages, but he's a, let's just say his net worth is a million dollars, just for easy, easy, yeah, math. Yeah, easy. Yes. Yeah. State, state minimum coverages. And, mm-hmm. and I always make the scenario as if you hit me and, okay? mm-hmm. cause I'm describing a, a family of five business owner, wife, three kids. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you hit my family in her Subaru ascent and you injured my kids Or my wife or myself, and you don't have proper coverages, what's going to happen? I'm going to try to go after Mm -hmm. your personal estate, especially if you have it. Now, if you don't don't have it and you have nothing at stake, well, what am I going to try to get from you? Mm -hmm. Nothing, because there's nothing there. But if you're a business owner and you've got good income and you've got assets, the the lawyer that I'm going to retain the services of is going to kind of just do a quick Google search on you and say, okay, is, is there assets here? Because they want to sign up for the case on a contingency that they can actually win.
0: Right, right, for sure.
1: Right. So they either have to have the means to be able to kind of uh, pay for it or Mm -hmm. have good coverages, right? So if they don't have good coverages, they're putting their whole estate at risk unnecessarily. Right, right. So we talked about that, how he's unnecessarily exposing himself to that scenario by having such low limits. And everyone just focuses on price, price, price. I want the cheapest deal. Yeah, yeah. But I said, hey, this is where you're shooting yourself in the foot. And a lot of people think that insurance is linear. Okay, like if I sell a $30,000 policy, a thirty sixty, right? Mm-hmm. The next step up is fifty one hundred. Mm-hmm. The Next step up after that is 100-300. Mm-hmm. So it's a, say we, we jumped up two steps. I've now duplicated my coverage by a certain percentage. They mm-hmm. think, oh, my premium is going to duplicate the same way. That's not the case. Right, right, right. It's only a little bit more to add way more coverage.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I noticed that I have way above state minimums, but like <laughs> it's uh yeah, touch wood. I never had to use them. I did. I did one year I had a, a hailstorm came through like uh-huh. did, that did a, uh, about $14,000 worth of damage to my truck. And I was very glad I had insurance at that point because they paid, good. they paid for all of it and gave me a rental car. So I was quite Excellent. pleased about that. <laughs> All right. But anyway, it's not the Sam show. We're talking about Kevin and uh, Kevin's uh, Kevin's career and time as an insurance agent and how you actually sell insurance. So uh, thank you uh, for coming on and sharing that with us. Let's keep the discussion. No, let's keep the discussion going. You're not done yet. (laughs) Got a little bit more time coming. Kevin, I want to talk about business now and the business of being in business Um. It's very challenging to be a successful entrepreneur 100% of the time. Most entrepreneurs I know, whether they're in the six-figure, seven-figure, or eight-figure range, all have a habit of skirting dangerously close to the bottom of their bank account when it comes time to putting together deals and stretching to the next level. Tell me about some times where you've run into some problems with your agency, be it growth problems or staffing problems or Uh, even cash flow problems. And tell me how you overcame those problems and kept moving forward.
1: I would say looking back at my time of being an agency owner for the past, because before before I became an agency owner, having the the home and auto insurance agency, Mm -hmm. I was kind of like a solo practitioner. Yeah. So even though I've been in business for myself, I didn't have a team around me. Okay. So using the, the last four, almost four years of time horizon to kind of answer that question. Yeah. The biggest challenge that I've encountered is staffing. Yes. Hiring and staffing. That is fundamental to the success or failure of, of an agency. Mm-hmm. If you have bad staff and I say bad, it's all relative. It's just not the right fit.
0: Yeah. Mis- mismatched maybe is a, <laughs> mismatched. Better, yes. Yeah.
1: So I've, Tried and failed multiple times uh, to fill a role in the agency, and it was just like, I don't know if it was like at a certain point I thought like I was cursed, like I'm never gonna find that right person. I was, however, fortunate to find my very first hire is still with me, and she's since the very very beginning. Right. So if with that, I was super fortunate. It's just finding that second person was, I think maybe six people went through that chair oh, before wow. we we found the person that's here now. And so I think, yeah, there was moments of uh, getting discouraged um, where you would throw yourself a little pity party, boo-hoo, right? But then <laughs> you have to kind of get over it because if you're trying yeah, to sure. make the agency grow, there are certain things that need to be done. And if if that, without having that one seat filled, it really bogs down my capability and also my partner's capability.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: We needed, we needed that other person. So it was just a trial and error situation, whether you mm-hmm. like, do I hire someone that has experience, but also comes with bad habits, or do I bring someone in from scratch and I, as a blank canvas, and I teach them the way.
0: And so, so, yeah, what what did you find worked better then? How, how did you fix the, the problem? The,
1: the, the second option. We, we picked up a young girl that had uh, really no... In in terms of her experience, she didn't have any insurance experience. She had barely had a job a few times beforehand. Mm -hmm. But there were certain behavioral-related questions that I asked on the interview that gave me an indication of her character and Mm. how she overcomes obstacles. And I also learned a little bit about her life and how she responds to challenges. So I knew that we had something that we could work with.
0: Right, Uh, Right.
1: In terms of, because I, I can teach insurance
0: exactly. I was going to say, man, you can train systems, but you can't train core values. Exactly. <laughs>
1: so that that was huge, and I've also made a lot of mistakes along the way where people on paper were fantastic, but yeah. When we when we put them in the nitty gritty and at, and held their feet to the fire in certain tasks or responsibilities, they would make excuses, they would make compromises. There they weren't as as impressive in the execution as the resume indicated.
0: Right. Yeah. D- dude, hiring is probably my least favorite part of all of this. Um, yes. yeah. So like, I just need to hire a good hiring manager and let, let them do it. <laughs> yes. Now th-
1: There is a lot of, uh, you know, in the insurance industry, a lot of people that are, cause obviously it's a pain point. So wherever there's mm-hmm. a pain point, there's a business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt.
1: Right. So, um, but well, luckily i've been i'm very fortunate to have the team I have now I've got account and, an account executive, a customer service representative, and I have a virtual assistant that kind of helps mm-hmm. with my admin and also some other customer service related roles that's uh in uh, my parents' native country of Argentina.
0: Gotcha yeah I had to drop that in there in that world cup didn't you i mean we- i mean twenty twenty
1: two is a great year,
0: man I don't know about that. <laughs> For the
1: Argentina national team, it was a good year, and as a fan of that particular national team, I'm I, I'm over the moon.
0: I can only imagine what it must feel like to have your country win the World Cup. So hopefully, I don't have to imagine too much longer. Um, England had a had an excellent run this year, but unfortunately, Argent, Argentina and France were both a little bit stronger. You know, not much we could do about it.
1: I, I never would have put any money on Harry Kane Harry Kane skying
0: a penalty mm-hmm. kick. Well, I watched. I I thought we had the better game than France, to be honest. But at the end of I the day, I agree with you. The end of the day in football, there's only there's only one thing that matters, and that's the number of goals in the back of the net, and that's it. So, uh, yeah, got a little bit off of small business there. Kevin and I are both Love huge, it. huge soccer fans. <laughs> yes. Um, so I got just a couple more questions for you, Kevin. We'll get this wrapped All up. Right. We'll let you go, mate. Um, have you enjoyed it? Have, have you had fun on your I first have, one? I have. It's uh,
1: you. You've made the experience very enjoyable. Thank you for being gentle with me.
0: Good, good. I know you were losing. You're worried about losing that podcast virginity, but we do things very gently around here. We we'll take care of our take care of our guests. Um, so the podcast obviously is aimed at folks coming up, and again, like I said, younger in business experience than we are so what i'd like you to do now is reach back in your mind and pretend you're talking to kevin from five years ago maybe you're an insurance agent five years ago and you're going out to start an agency or something like that what's one piece of advice that kevin from 2023 would have given to kevin from 2018 if he could
1: that's a brilliant question
0: thank you i should have prepped you really <laughs> no no that, that, that's great
1: and i actually have thought about i have thought about that. Um, so. Because I would try to, I would try to tell tell the young version of me to prepare him for the obstacles he's going to face. Um, if he were my mentee, right? Uh, these are the challenges you're going to have. These are the problems you're going to have. And here's here's the type of mindset you need to have in terms of overcoming them. Mm-hmm. Never focus so much on the in the problem that you're going through, but in the keep things in perspective of the long term trajectory of where you want to take your career and what you need. Uh, to arm yourself with in terms of the experience. It's almost, it's weird now, Sam, because at our age, when we're going through a problem, it's almost like we don't really have that moment of like, oh, shucks, I'm going through a problem. You're just like, I can handle this. I've been through worse. Because we've armed ourselves with the experience Mm -hmm. of going through bigger problems in the past that gives ourselves the, the confidence to be able to overcome Anything, or at least be able to have access to resources, problem yeah. solving that we can put pieces together to be able to overcome whatever we're going through.
0: Oh, dude, you're so right. Man, the, the, the older you get, like, the better at it you get. And I say it doesn't get easier, it doesn't, it's no. still shitty some, sometimes, but it gets much, much, much. You're much better at handling the situation, you're much better at solving the problems. Like, it's still difficult, but you're just way better at it
1: agree the other thing is the emotional side i think i think too many times we are in the problem yeah we get really emotional
0: Mm -hmm. it's very tricky to separate that how how do you separate how do you handle that man because it's um you know i i i figured it out um but even still um with as much experience as i've got emotional um Emotions are hard to control at points in oh, business. How, how do you deal with that?
1: And it's not something I've mastered either. I, I still I still get emotional about things and mm-hmm. it doesn't take much to get me like angry. And I, but I think it's important to know where anger comes from. It's like scarcity or fear. Yeah. Um, so like assessing your own emotions of what creates it. And then also what I, what breaks everything down is, okay, which of the problem which elements of the problem can you directly impact and mm-hmm. which can you not? Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. what you almost have to do like a mental audit of the factors. Dude, that's okay, a
0: huge which, one. Yeah.
1: That's one thing I would say is like focus on what you can control on and everything else, just leave it alone.
0: Yeah. Dude, I love that. Some savings. Easier bonds. said than done. I will say that. <laughs> All right, buddy. Last question for you, pal. Sure. For the people that have enjoyed listening to you and, uh, getting to know you over the course of the last 45 minutes what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and follow along with you on social media
1: so i'm active on all the social media accounts um it's k caballero is my twitter handle my uh my instagram and then kevin caballero on facebook and then i have my my business which is the caballero insurance agency on on my facebook page
0: okay Wonderful. We will get those uh, links in the show notes, Kevin. Dude, thank you so much for coming, hanging out with us. It's been my pleasure to uh, to take your first ever podcast recording session. So thank you for that, Kevin. I uh, I really thank appreciate you. being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Sam. I thoroughly enjoyed it
0: all right my guys that was kevin Caballero of the Caballero insurance agency you'll go over to his socials and show him some love let him know you came from the small business surgeon podcast as always if you've enjoyed the show spread the word share it out leave us a review do those great things you do and uh, i love all of you guys i will see you this week for friday fire take care